And welcome back, fourth and long fans. It's your 40 correspondent, Coach Donnie Hess here, back with another AFLW round review. First round of finals is in the book, and boy, were we given four absolutely fantastic games of footy. I'm not going to waste too much time with my intros here. Let's get right into it. As you can see, I've got two awesome co-hosts hopping on with me, joining me from Sydney, Miss Emma Phillips. Emma, how are you doing? First off, congratulations on a premiership over in Adelaide. After we talked to Coach Kick, I haven't had a chance to congratulate you in person on that. Thank you, Donnie. Firstly, thank you for having me on the show. It's always a pleasure to talk footy with you. Um, yeah, we, we managed to, New South Wales I played for, and we managed to pull off the premiership in the Masters over 40 women competition in Adelaide around a month ago now. And I think we're still flying high. You know, all of us are in a WhatsApp group that converses every couple of days and tries to figure out how we can get the party going again. So it's been good. Absolutely fantastic. How's the, how's the injury? I know, I know it's not a super bad one. How's the injury going? Yeah, it's okay. It's a little digit, just a little <laughs> mini finger issue. I did see a specialist yesterday. There's some talk of surgery, so we'll see. It doesn't feel too bad, but thanks for asking. All right. Well, we'll cross our fingers that everything goes well. And then as per usual, a very well-known guest on the a guest host that's hopped on the podcast, my free, free mantle docker, mad supporter, Mr. Gil Griffin. Gil, great to have you on, sir. How you doing, Donnie? And, and I cannot believe your your puns. Your fingers are crossed in your interview. You have someone on who has a finger injury. Really, Donnie? Come on. Uh, yeah. The best it part hurt. about Gil, it. Let the, me tell you. The best part about it is, is it, it just flew, flew off the tongue. Wasn't even thought of. Wasn't even thought of. Way to pull me up on that, girl. Gil, absolutely fantastic. Let's hop into it. Four games of footy. Really quick, Emma, thoughts on this first round of footy? Wow, wasn't it? It really was a remarkable start to the final series. And I say remarkable in many ways. I mean, every game had that kind of finals magic in it. You know, when it comes to finals football, there's just stuff that's going to happen that nobody can predict. And I'm thinking of the Bulldogs comeback. I'm thinking about North Melbourne and Geelong having no goals goals scored after the first quarter. You know, this, there are things that happen that just never occur. And I think we got a huge range of that through this first round of finals football. I always feel a little bit sad after the first round of finals footy because we're down to just two games, then it's two games and it's one. You know, can we have four? Can we have five? Can we have six games like this every weekend, please? <laughs> Uh, and, and the best part is, is it was what what a great transition. Gil, your thought your thoughts on this first round of finals footy? Well, I don't know about having five or six matches every week because I have a one a.m. deadline uh, <laughs> for my column I have to write in footyology. But you know, it's funny. Um, leave it to the Bulldogs to complicate and confuse things as they often do. Because I was in the middle of filing the story and writing about how Collingwood was moving on, and suddenly all of the, suddenly here comes Kirsty Lamb, uh, almost single handedly trying to drag her side over the line and um that was that was one of the best matches and then you know for all the critics that talk about how there aren't enough goals scored in aflw well you know i thought the i thought the geelong match um you know was was really against north melbourne was the most exciting match i've seen mm. in a really long time mm -hmm. um it to me and to give a baseball sort of a comparison it was like a pitcher's duel uh, when you see two really good teams going at it and their pitchers are in control and there's not a lot of scoring, but there's so much cerebral activity going on. Um, but I have to th think if you're a Geelong fan, you must be just wanting to tear your hair out because they had so many opportunities. I don't know that I've ever seen a game of football that had one side get more than double the number of inside 50s 
and still lose. I don't know when the last time is I've seen something like that. Yeah, I think yeah. They, they they put somewhere statistic. They said I think this is like the first, only like the first or second time in like both men's and women's combined that it's ever happened. Just an absolutely insane stat. Great there. So let's jump right into it. Let's break each of these four games down because as as Emma said, each of these games had something exciting about it. Let's jump to the first one where uh, Melbourne get the win by twenty one. But if you stopped watching this after the first quarter, you would not have believed the final score because Adelaide jumped Melbourne right off the bat. It, absolutely fantastic start by the Crows, kicking one of the fastest goals in AFLW history. But then the D's kind of went, oh yeah, we're the D's, and just rolled come the second quarter on. Absolutely fantastic. So Emma, your thoughts on on this one? Yeah, I think you kind of nailed it there, Donnie. You know, Melbourne hadn't conceded a score in the first quarter, I think, in the past three or four matches, was it? Something like that, around about the past month. And, you know, Adelaide went out and went, right, 19 seconds, we'll show you how it's done. And then kicked a couple more. And, you know, the last time that happened for Melbourne was against Adelaide, where they won by many, many goals, 10 goals, something like that. So they must have been seriously nervous, I think, given the history with Adelaide given the scenario of the importance of the match and they're looking at the big, you know, the, the fairy tale finish for Daisy Pierce, of course, in the premiership, there was a lot riding on this match. And I think they could well have imploded, you know, going back a couple of seasons and conceded to a team like Adelaide who are so very strong, who know each other so well, who just play good football with their eyes closed, you know. And really credit to Melbourne, I think, that they have been able to show us the kind of mental toughness the mental metal if you like that they now have and to come back from that three goal burst that Adelaide had and just really rest the game back into their hands and and you know and and I'm not going to say dominate but they controlled the tempo and you know revealed to us their serious premiership contentions I think so yeah all power to them yeah very very much their depth and Gail I'm going to ask you this if, if you're if you're in the Crows camp are you a tiny bit worried because this this is a team that's been very very experienced. They've they've had a ton of finals experience, and they did. They jumped Melbourne quickly, but they kind of let Melbourne dictate the rest of the game in many ways. I mean, are you at all concerned going into another round that you're now in the tougher part of the bracket, having to go through Brisbane to get to a grand final? I think you are, and if you compare this match to a to a boxing match. Um, I thought toward the end, we got a really, really good illustration of that. Because if you looked at Chelsea Randall, by the end of that match in the dying seconds, did you see her? I mean, she mm -hmm. had a bru visibly bruised left knee. She had a black right eye. She was bleeding from the nose and she stumbled backward, uh, mm. you know, to the turf and couldn't even take her, her set shot at the end. So if you're looking at it for a comparison, that was like one of the Rocky movies and seeing uh, and seeing Rocky battered and bruised at the end of it. Um, and it's funny, you're right. Both of you, when you talk about Adelaide jumping out to that big lead and you thought for that first period, you're like, okay, the reigning premiers are back. Uh, mm. They're not letting this bother them. Um, but Melbourne, you know, they've been playing with a chip on their shoulder all year. And it was probably a really good thing that they opened the season uh, playing against Adelaide. And you had that grand final rematch because Melbourne was really the side I thought that bullied the Crows when it had been the other way around for so long. And, um, you know, in that in the opener, in the opening period, you saw Daniel Ponter get off the chain. And then there was that little controversial goal that Caitlin Gould kicked toward the end of the quarter where she mm -hmm. kind of gave a little shove to Taylor Harris to get her out of the ruck contest. She snatches the ball and kicks it through. And, uh, you know, the, the whole story about, um, I guess, she who laughs last 
uh, you know, mm-hmm. laughs loudest or something like that, because it certainly was that way uh, for the demons, because they definitely uh, found another deer, and uh, they're good when they play angry. And how about Olivia Purcell? Mm-hmm. Uh, another fantastic match. And uh, and then if you think about Ann Hatchard and Ebony Marinoff, they were limited to 33 touches combined. Uh, that mm-hmm. doesn't happen very often. So Melbourne uh, did a hell of a job in this match. Yeah. And what's scary about Melbourne is the fact that Liv, Liv Purcell and Eliza West have kind of taken over in the midfield. I mean, it's let Lily Mithin and and their midfield, their depth has has just exploded to, to where they're a scary team because if you, you shut down one, they've got three or four other that can step in and they can change, they can move them out. I mean, it's absolutely crazy to see this Melbourne team because I've – I said it going into the finals. I said, I know everybody's high on Brisbane. I'm high on this Melbourne team because I think they've got a grit and a physicality that'll be very fascinating to see come come a grand final, but absolutely great. And then I have to throw this in. Lauren Pierce kind of did the same thing back to him in the third quarter. So there, it was kind of a, even even out. Gould got a, I think Gould, I think she got away with a little bit of a push in the back. But Lauren Pierce did a nice little body bump in, in the third quarter, kind of did it back. So I think I think they each got one. It was a little dubious, but but in all, still an absolutely fantastic game. This was this was a good one. Absolutely great starter. We moved to the second one. And we for me, this was a little bit of do we see Brisbane take a revenge factor in, in, into this one? And early it looked like it was it kind of evened out i think the tigers kind of balanced this game out i think the final score was a little bit closer than i was i was expecting a little bit so gil right off the bat i mean did brisbane show their dominance or are they are they ruining a little bit some of their misses going five nine in this game i don't think they're ruining their their misses in this one um i think that that richmond proved that they could hang with them for a quarter um, but it's one of this one of these things where this is really a great advantage for a developing side like Richmond to get that double chance and to see if they're going to apply the lessons that they learned from the loss. Um, you know, it was really sweet to see Katie Brennan playing in her first AFLW final kick a bag of three. That was really a, a beautiful thing to see. And I'm not just saying that because I've met Katie years ago and she's just, you know, lovely in person um, to talk footy with and everything. But um, you know, Brisbane has so many weapons, and I think that the same high that you feel with Melbourne, I feel toward Brisbane because Brisbane can beat a team in so many different ways. And, uh, you know, all you have to do with Brisbane is give them just a little bit of an opening, and they're going to run with that. And, you know, Jess Wardlaw had a nice moment for herself, too, becoming the first AFLW player for uh, for 20 goals over a season, even though 19 of them came in the home and the way season. Um, but Brisbane is so loaded with talent. And, um, you know, when we talk about how good Monconti is, it's almost like Brisbane have three or four Moncontis on that team. Mm-hmm. And so Brisbane were able to, to, to really get over the, over the top, uh, play at home and enjoy, well, home away from home in Metricon stadium and really enjoy the benefits of that. So I don't know, or think that Melbourne thought that they had anything to prove, even though Richmond beat them earlier in the season. Um, but I think they just did open up and take full advantage and wanting to lock in that home prelim and, uh, for Richmond. Uh, it doesn't get any easier because they've got to play that round 10 rematch against North Melbourne and take some of the lessons that they've learned in this one. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Completely agree. Emma, I'm, I'm, Emma, I'm going to ask you this as a Richmond supporter. Can you take a lot of positives out of this? Because you took a Brisbane team that has been dominant for a good majority of this season 
and, and you played with them for a majority of the time. You showed your superstars. Ellie McKenzie played well. Egan, Grace Egan played well. Mon Conti, again, played well. And this is still a Tigers team that I, I still look, they're not 100%. They still don't have Harriet Cordner. They're still having a few injuries here. So I, I, I'll, I'll put your Richmond hat on real quick, Emma. Do you take a little bit of confidence going into this semifinal game? You played with a, a, a flag favorite here. Donnie, I think uh, there was a horrible nightmare that you had where I was a Richmond supporter at one point because I'm North Melbourne. <laughs> well, I was, horrible I, nightmare, I, horrible. I was trying, I was trying that and it didn't work. It just did not work on that transition there. <laughs> so Are you t- I can't have the world know that I might be a Richmond supporter. <laughs> but I think I think it's a great question because I think Richmond have been such an interesting team to watch this year for reasons that are fairly obvious. I mean, I don't think anybody really expected them to win the number of games that they have won through the home and away season. Admittedly, they had probably a pretty good stretch of teams that they were playing, but I think they've probably surprised themselves even. And uh, like you said, Gil, you know, having a double chance in the finals has been a really rich opportunity to see what they can bring, what they can back up with. And of course, as the North Melbourne supporter that I am, I'm actually super worried about this game because I think Richmond are really... I think they're a very smart team. They don't have the same talent as a number of other teams in the in that final eight, including North Melbourne. They're probably a better side on paper. But I think Richmond work out opposition very well. And, you know, that example of having played Brisbane, really having their measure for a quarter, they threw everything at Brisbane. They really gave everything to it, you know, and I think they were in some ways probably spent. That was sort of all they had. They couldn't mm-hmm. keep up with a team as good as Brisbane. You know, and really maybe Brisbane were probably playing in about third gear, you know, and then they could still get over the line, I think, against a Richmond side like that. So, look, but, you know, to answer your question, I think you do, as Richmond supporters will take an incredible amount of heart from their entire season, also from the game against Brisbane, even though they lost. They'll be full of confidence this week. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fascinating, and and this is a Richmond team that, honestly, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow your minds a little bit. I had them this high. Like maybe not fourth, mm. but I had them making finals. They were my smoky because I thought Grace Egan was the perfect addition for their midfield because she could play that defensive center role and let Ellie McKenzie and let Mon Conti go. Let them play the forward type half. Let them be the slick ball movement players that they are. And then you've got the Hosking twins that can rotate from the defender or, or in the midfield or the wings. You have Beck Miller who came in last year after Harriet Corden went down and really played really well defensively. Tessa Levy out wide has played well. Elise Sharon has come out of the stars, it seems like, to be that rebounding halfback that nobody expected them to have. This has been a Richmond team that I think, though they lost those first two games, I kept saying every podcast, I think they're going to make finals. I think they're going to make finals because that's how talented they are. And they didn't have Katie Brennan for a good majority of this season. Did they benefit from their schedule? Maybe. Well, you'd have to say they didn't play a lot of finals teams. So we'll have to see how they go. This North Melbourne matchup this week, I think is going to be absolutely the best game of the round because it's going to be a slugfest after the draw that they had at the start of the year. So speaking of North... Add one thing about Richmond, you know, Go it's ahead. funny because you, you picked them to be in finals this year. Richmond and me are having the season I thought they were going to have in season six mm-hmm. because of their strong finish to season five. I really thought that last year or last season that was going to be their their big breakout. And um, you know, as you're talking about the the players who were instrumental for me, it's Courtney Wakefield, mm-hmm. um, who's been able to take so much pressure off of uh, Katie Brennan and then to stand in for Katie Brennan when she was injured. Um, for part of the year when when she couldn't play because just the fact that Courtney Wakefield is able to attract uh, a top defender um, on her 
and take some of that burden off uh, off of Katie. And and Courtney has had a fantastic season for sure. One hundred percent agree with you. She came up big for that Richmond Tigers team. So we jumped to it. We, you kind of discussed it in your thoughts, Gil. The the sixteen fourteen two point game that I I have to say this this was my this is one of my favorites because this was great good defensive tough gritty hard nosed footy. I absolutely love this. I, I feel gutted for Geelong a little bit because. They had a great crowd there. They played so well, just couldn't find the big sticks. So we look at it. Okay, Emma, the North Melbourne fan, I do apologize. I was trying and it just <laughs> didn't work that well. As a North Melbourne fan, how nerve-wracking was this game? Because Geelong seemed to just keep pampering, just couldn't find the big sticks, and North holds on to get a two-point win. Yeah, it was crazy. I was actually there for this match. So I live in Sydney, but I was in Melbourne recently and took the drive down to Geelong to see the match last weekend. And it was, it was a really, it's a strange thing to describe because I don't think I've ever been in a footy match that had a crowd so tense for the vast majority of the game. And I think by the time the final quarter rolled around, everybody was on edge, you know, really kind of screaming for any free kick or any kind of release to the game. We needed, somebody needed to kick a goal just to release the pressure valve on the crowd. So from a spectator perspective, I think it was a tough watch. You know, it really was. And that the ground at Geelong is large. It's a really long ground. It's not suited to the short kicks, of course, that women have. So it was always going to be low scoring anyway. But it just felt like, as you say, you know, North Melbourne just defended Geelong the in, pretty well the entire game. And immense credit to them for doing that. And I watched the faces afterwards, the North Melbourne girls' faces, and they were ridiculously happy with how they had gone. I think Amy Smith was it had 17 tackles in the defensive, the deep in the defensive line. I mean, that's, you know, unheard of. 41 to 20-odd inside 50s and to not get that goal, absolutely heartbreaking. So even though it wasn't a spectator uh, you know, fun from a spectator point of view. I think it was a classic game of finals football again, you know, so <laughs> I just, I'm still kind of shocked at how it sort of went really. And that we got away with one as Darren Crocker said. Yeah. It's hard to argue that you're not 100% on that one. And Gil, I'm, I'm going to look at it like this is that it, does, does Geelong, how, how positive can Geelong take this, that they, they took a North Melbourne team that everybody was, was always the underachieving. They were, they were the great team, but always kind of underachieved. How positive do you have to be as Geelong is that you took North Melbourne to the brink. You just fell a little bit short though. It stinks to lose. You played a really good team that probably shouldn't be an eighth all the way to the wire. That's true. And I think if you look at Geelong having won only three matches in the previous season, I mean, no one could have picked them to be uh, as high as they were and, and to do as well as they did. The only thing, though, that I think you do have to look at, there are two things that, that come to mind for me, is that Geelong really was too predictable in their forward 50 entries. If you looked at it so many times, they would hack and hope and kick long, bomb it long and hope that someone would mark. And that was never going to work against a North Melbourne defense that's really tall. And you could just see how many times an intercept mark was there. Um, I didn't count the number, but it just seemed like almost every time Geelong went inside 50, there was an intercept mark. And the times that uh, someone did almost come down with a mark, they spilled it. So my biggest complaint with, with Geelong was they weren't lowering their eyes and they didn't have uh, forwards giving a lead up target that I think would have made life a lot easier for them. And if that were the case, you know, we're talking about the inside 50 numbers. It was 41 to 18 uh, in North Melbourne's favor. And, uh, you know, in some ways they could look at that, I'm sorry, 40 to, 41 to 18 in Geelong's favor. And they could have looked at that and said, we, we really should have blown them out. 
So I guess it's a glass half full and half empty. But one thing that they that Geelong could not do anything about, you got to give it up for Jasmine Garner because there were two mm-hmm. very subtle moments in this match that really turned it on its head. If you really think about it, one of the North Melbourne goals was set up by uh, Jasmine Garner's rebounding from 50. Hit a pinpoint a pinpoint of a pass to someone in the, to a teammate in the middle that led to one goal. And then the second one that um, that I thought was really explained very very well in the replay and commentary was there was a stoppage inside 50 that was that led to uh, North's second goal. And I don't know how she did it, but Jasmine Garner just rolled off, and no one no one paid her any mind. She got just free enough to make that tackle on Meg, on Megan McDonald. The ball spills and it goes right to her teammate, and uh, and that resulted in another goal. So if you look at it, North scored two goals, and Jasmine Garner was influential in both of them in a really minor way because those aren't going to show up on the on the stat sheet. But a player this good, uh, having one percenters like that, that made the difference. And um, you know, Emma, as you said, Amy Smith, um, incredible back there with uh, with seventeen tackles. And with Jasmine Garner, 11 of her 23 were contested possessions. So she knows how to, how to fight for the ball. And this is a defense um, that just bent but did not break. Um, the other thing that the Ruse did really well, they limited Georgie Prispakis to 13 touches. Uh, she's a dynamic player and, you know, and a clearance queen. And to hold her for, to, for that little influence, that was really big. And the one player they couldn't stop, North Melbourne couldn't, was Amy McDonald, and she had a fantastic match herself. But I loved this match. I thought it was absolutely thrilling. Um, but I, if, if I'm a Geelong fan, I still can't help but get frustrated at the number of times they went inside 50 and had nothing to show for it. But still, yeah. they should be proud of their year. It'd be it'd be fascinating. Does, does Geelong try to look for another leading forward target. I mean, yeah, they have Chloe Shear. Yeah. Shelly Scott kind of grew as the season came on to become that, become that spark, but you almost wish they, they need that one. They need that one more damaging forward. Just, just to, just to make defenses think a little bit too. Uh, I, I think that was their issue at the start of the season was they were grinding games out with low scored. And then they kind of had that goal explosion later on in the season. Shelly Scott and Chloe Shear kind of got off the chain a little bit, but that it, it kind of reared their ugly, their, their start of the year form kind of reared its ugly head here, unable to kick goals when they go in they're they're just not capitalizing on it a lot. So absolutely agree and then emma carney i gotta say this emma carney basically playing on one leg wow what a what a game for one leg that was that was really impressive my the absolute superstar that is emma carney we go to the last one that as you said gil the one that <laughs> nearly had made you have to change your article uh, on the last moments as the collingwood magpies get the five point win but uh, i mean again if you look at the score worm up till three quarter time, this this was not a contest. Uh, Collingwood pretty much had this game. It was and the doggies came absolutely roaring back in this one. So, I mean, is this is this the doggies waited too late, or did Collingwood kind of lose a little steam and let the doggies stay in this a lot far too long for a game that Collingwood should have put away, Gil? I definitely think that uh, that Collingwood treated it as if that you know the the australian expression about putting the cue in the rack uh it, that's what it seemed like to me um but yeah i will acknowledge that the western bulldogs are a deadline writer's worst nightmare um <laughs> you know, it, it absolutely are um but you know it, but there's something really great about that for 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 the sport and and for and for the the doggies fans too 
And um, because, I mean, for three quarters, this whole match was the Eliza James show. It was her big coming out party. I mean, she kicked five goals all year, and then she kicks a bag of four in this one. And it, it really did look like Collingwood were cruising. Um, but the doggies just had, well, you know, I, I said this before in a column, the doggies always seem to play well when their backs are to the wall. Uh, you know, they did it against Carlton in the, in the last match of the season when Ellie Blackburn played the hero. And it looked like Kirsty Lamb was about to do the same thing. And that, that just makes them really an exciting club to watch. And, uh, you know, Collingwood at the end just very, very nearly uh, let things get away from them. Um, so credit to them. They, they, played, uh, they played, played really tough. Um, I don't know where Eliza James materialized from, but uh, that's, that's a weapon that they are definitely going to need to use uh, going forward into the next round. And, um, yeah, so it was, it was another really exciting match, but Collingwood's got to be in the habit of, of playing that four-quarter footy. Yeah, definitely, for sure. And then, Emma, I want to ask you this. How awesome was it seeing Victoria Park absolutely full for, again, what ended up being a cracking game at the end? Yeah, it's great, isn't it, that these old Melbourne grounds are getting their use again in this way with just such fantastic footy that's being played there. And I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Melbourne girl, born and bred, and, and obviously heavily involved in football there for a long time. And those grounds are really quite sort of quiet for years and years. I'm sure you both know this very well. I remember uh, only perhaps six or seven years ago, just dog walking before AFOW started, eight years ago, just dog walking on Victoria Park. And, you know, on the weekend, it was just dozens of people with their dogs throwing balls around and that's about all the ground was used for you know great for the community but really not much footy being played there so it is so fantastic to see it jumping again with big crowds and you know the heart and soul of Collingwood is alive again it pains me to say that but it is great <laughs> for football <laughs> so you know and I think it's the point that was made about the Bulldogs playing good football when their backs are to the wall really does ring true, doesn't it? And I think you can probably, you know, more or less say that about their men's team as well. There seems to be a culture at that club of digging deep when the chips are down, you know, and they really produce some exciting football. I've played football sort of with and against Ali Blackburn and uh, Kirsty Lamb, and, it, and both of them uh, will just give you everything and then some, you know, at all times during the game you know you can rely on them. And I just think that the, their presence amongst their teammates when the chips are down must be just vital. I think everybody looks to them and whatever they're doing, they'll follow, you know. And so, as you said, Gil, I think Kirsty Lamb just about stole it. She's like, if it's if it's going to be, it's up to me, you know, and you could just see her giving it. She, she was, could barely stand up, I think, by the end of the game. She was so spent. But what a great thing to watch. And I feel like the end result, five points, was probably quite fitting, even though Collingwood really did probably um, you know, again, that word dominates a bit strong, but they controlled the game and they'll be disappointed that it was so close. But in some ways it feels fitting to me for where both teams are kind of at, if you like. I'm not sure Collingwood quite deserve where they to be where they are. It's a slightly controversial thing to say, but, you know, and there are a couple of injured players down now. So mm, not sure they're not sure how they'll go this weekend. Yeah, and it'll, I, it'll I be, share your it, appreciation for Victoria Park, by the way. Just got to, to to say that really quick because about seven years ago, when you're talking about the dog walking, uh, I was writing my book back in 2016, and I, you know, I went to Victoria Park because I, to me, it was you know, being from here and and not really ever seeing a match in this ground. To me, it's like a museum, and mm, so I went mm. and I saw exactly what you're talking about: people walking their dogs, people taking trick shots, and all that kind of stuff. And yep. I decided I had an interview to do, a phone interview. And I said, well, why not do it from here? Why not do it from, you know, from, from the bench 
here at Victoria Park. And, and you're right. And I also did the same thing going to Witten Oval and uh, going to Arden Street, going to, to what's now Icon Park. Um, yeah. and, and, I think, and I think it's interesting for, for people like us who follow the game from so far away, seeing some of these iconic places, it's almost like you're reading a book and then now you're seeing the movie, but only <laughs> you're there in real life. So one of the things that I really hope, and I'm, I'm glad that you have this appreciation, I hope everybody in Australia does, that, you know, not to take these places for granted, because mm. uh, through our getting into the game, I mean, these these are like sacred spaces for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, you know? It's it's a really good point. I, I won't linger on this too much longer, Donnie. I know you want to move on, but no, I just good. want to say there's a, I have a, uh, my family is very close with um, an American family who we've known since I was five years old kind of thing. And the, the dad of the family, Art Pearl, his name is, he would come out at least once a year. And if it was in winter, we'd go and take in a couple of AFL matches, obviously the men's matches. And he was able to watch that transition, I suppose, from it being really community focused, uh, am- relatively amateur football to becoming much more, you know, hyper-professionalized and, uh, you know, uh, lots of corporatization of the sport. And he always found it very sad to watch that transition. And of course, the majority of matches are now played at uh, the MCG or, or, you know, various other uh, big stadiums around the country like that, Marvel Stadium. No longer could you run onto the ground and have a kick with friends after the game and so on. So all of those suburban grounds you're talking about, about Gil, really did become museums. And it was like, what are we going to do with them? There was talk about knocking them down, you know, the stadium where Hawthorne was kind of got mostly knocked down. And now there's this revival going on. And so kind of old football people, you know, who are old enough to remember those experiences with the men are really uh, relishing what's happening with the women using these grounds now. So I'm really glad you've had that experience of them. I still yeah. have a vial of glass from Subiaco Oval when I saw my first Dockers <laughs> match. Uh, we beat Collingwood back in 2015. And as you said, had a kick with people on the ground. I did kick right. one goal. I kicked one goal. And I did, uh, I, I did gather some grass. It's still in a vial that I have in my Brilliant. house. Brilliant. Love it. Absolutely fantastic. And it's one of the things with, with you being in Sydney now, Emma, is that it's one of the things, if I ever get there, I want to get to Henson Park because I've heard such a great atmosphere for that yeah. and, and for the for the Sydney teams. And it's got such a great, rich history there. So, and I love that. I, I love the community grounds, the Arden, the Arden streets. It, I love that about the AFLW because it does, it does bring a much more family oriented um, game mm. to it. So I think that's one of those that I don't want to lose that as much as I'd love to see the bigger crowds at Marvel, at the SCG, at the MCG, at Optus Stadium, at Adelaide Oval. I still want to see a majority of the games played at these at these suburban grounds because I think it just fits AFLW a little bit more than the men's does. And it, it is no slide on the men. I, it just feels right. So, so I absolutely love that discussion. I was not going to rush you guys. I absolutely love that. Um, Gil has had the luxury of going. I, it's on my bucket list. I'm going to go. I, I want to get to both Sydney and Melbourne at least to do both. So it's on It's on the list. I will get to it. I'm saving up money. Trust me, I am trying as much as I can. So that was the four finals games. And boy, were they fantastic. Some absolutely, absolutely elite games. I loved this first round. So let's move on to it. The new the new section, burning questions. Okay, so I'm going to ask you both this, and, and I want to hear your answers to this because, again, four games, but all great. First, first question, what was your favorite game of the round? We'll start with Emma. Favorite game of the round? Favorite game of the round. I think it has to be the Collingwood Bulldogs game. I'd love to say the North Melbourne game because we won, but that would be a cheap answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think Collingwood Bulldogs, you know, it, was, it really – Again, it sort of typified that 
final spirit, the thing we come to expect of, of mad finals matches, the doggies backs against the wall. I had just about turned the television off a few minutes into the last quarter. I was kind of bored with it. It's like, well, they're going to romp away with this win. And then suddenly it was like, bang, bang, bang. Kirsty Lamb wants to rip the game apart. Mm-hmm. Here we are. I'm glued, you know. So that was for me. I just, I want more of that. It's unreal. That's my favorite. All right, Gil, you, what's your favorite game? What was your favorite had, game of the round? It had to be Geelong North Melbourne. I mean, anytime you've got an elimination final, everything's riding on it. And, you know, as Emma was saying, it was so tense. And, uh, you know, I, I actually was thinking that, that Geelong, that they were going to pull it off. Uh, that I think it would have been an incredible coming of age moment for them. Um, and, but I, I could share their frustration, but also you could see the frustration in, in, uh, in the North side, because, um, you have to really give them a lot of credit because they weathered storm after storm after storm, and you just could not break them down as much as Geelong, uh, mightily tried. And then there was a heartbreaking moment when Shelly Scott actually had the chance to, to win the match, uh, for Geelong. And, uh, unfortunately for them, it was a behind. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, again, I'll come back to this. It just, I don't think it's really warranted with all the fans out there that are, are hating on AFLW and saying, well, they don't score enough. There aren't enough goals. Well, you know, footy is footy and there are different kinds of footy and there are different styles. You know, Emma talked about the shorter kicks and, and the running game being, being more prevalent uh, in, in women's matches. And I think you just have to appreciate each, each kind of footy for the way, for, for what it is and how it's played. And so, so I don't watch AFLW to expecting to see big scores put up there, large aggregate scores. You know, you know you're going to get some quarters where a team is going to go scoreless or maybe just kick one behind. Um, you know that's going to happen. So it's just like if you know it's going to happen going in, you have a choice. You don't have to watch. Um, I choose to watch, and I think it's a privilege to cover AFLW, and I love the way the game is played. I, I'm 100% with you on the same thing. Game game of the round was Geelong North Melbourne because it's about that fourth quarter, seeing North Melbourne take wave after wave after wave after wave of Geelong attack and continue to repel, repel, repel. It was fantastically great football. And it was, it was good because you had two really good defenses shutting down teams that can score when they want to. So it, it was great to see the tactical battle. Like it was more of a chess game sometimes than I think some of the men's games are. So absolutely love that. And I agree. I, I I'm going to agree with you completely, Gil. It is for me, this is an honor to watch these games because this, this is a brand of footy that it, it's different. It's not the same as the men. It's not the same as the men's game. It's not helter skelter in many ways. It is more cerebral. It is more tactical. And then I I love that so many of the uh, of the detractors. It's like you do remember they have shorter quarters. They have two less players on the field, and the league in and of itself is not nearly as developed. The pathways for women's are just now getting to every single age group has women's teams that can play and they're now getting coaching to where each and every draft class that comes in. I mean, think about this year's draft class, Montana ham, jazz Fleming, all of the really elite players that came through this draft that had a great year this year, Georgie Prasparkas's year, give it time, let it marinate. It's coming. The talent is coming. It just needs time to get there. So, Settle, people. Settle, because it's coming. Not not only that, not only that, Donnie, but think about this. How many other sports, professional sports in the world, do you have people playing two seasons 
within year. one calendar year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, That's... they need a trophy just for that, don't I they? I mean, yeah, they do. I mean, think about the physical and emotional toll that takes. Think about players mm. that didn't know where they'd be playing, and the mm. league didn't exactly do the best job of telling them when training was going to start. And you're dealing with a full-time employer, oh, by the way, on the side that you have to let them know what you're doing. And, you know, thinking about from a contractual standpoint, from a physical standpoint, and then also think about this, that you had, uh, you know, players there who are also mothers who are working full-time jobs. Right. You, have, you have at least two 17-year-olds uh, on the Western Bulldogs who are still in high school. I mean, they could be my students, for goodness sake. And they're, yeah. and they're expected to be professional athletes and hold up that end. Uh, and, and something that was also brought up to me by, uh, by a friend of mine here is that also they're playing in state leagues when they're not playing AFLW. And so there has to be that equalization that, mm -hmm. you know, the whole thing about women's athletics, it has to be put on equal footing with the men's. It has to, it, it, it's gone on long enough. Um, well said, Gil. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it should be the same standard. Really yep, should 100%. And, th and then think about this. It, it, maybe this is the, the Swans fan to me. Think about Montana ham having to go from Victoria to New South Wales every weekend to take your schooling but then also be an elite footballer and having your knee injury after the first game of the season, still having to do that, finishing the season and then having to miss a game because of VCEs. So that's, like I said, the, the school girls this year are the ones that I, I, I want to give a high five to like to every single one of, because for, for some of the, for the Riley Wilcoxes of the Western Bulldogs, Montana Hams, the Jazz Flemings, the Sophia Hurleys, the youngsters, the Hannah Ewings, Oh my gosh! Some of these, some of these performances by these schoolgirls was absolutely elite. Cannot wait to see these girls grow up because they are going to step into some great shoes and be elite, elite players as the years go on. So, so I love the discussion. Thank you, Gil. Absolutely fantastic there. So, we'll 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 kind of open into this next question. We'll start with you, Gil. What was your best performance, either player, team, or game? Best performance of this round of the finals. You know, I, I hate to I hate to make it seem like a cop out, but for the reasons I talked about earlier with those one percenters, it has to be Jasmine Garner. Um, she is just thinking and acting on uh, on a wavelength that's higher than everybody else, and that's really how you end up winning uh, the AFL Coaches Association Most Valuable Player Award because just her sense, her footy brain of where to be at what moment and what to do. Um, you know, I've seen athletes in other sports kind of have that sixth sense and she, and she has that she, it, it's clear out there. It's kind of like, uh, if you're a science fiction fan, it's kind of like Neo in the matrix where he can, he can see past the code. Right. And I think for me, Jasmine Garner is that type of player, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and also one other, uh, player I think deserves mention for, for that is, uh, Allie Anderson, uh, of Brisbane. I mean, she has just come on like a house on fire. Um, I mean, it's not that she was a mediocre player ever. I mean, she's she's a standout, but she has really also elevated her game. But I'm going to go with Jasmine Garner in this round. All righty then, Emma, your best performance. Gil, I just, I just love your description of Garner and the kind of metaphor you've used, the Matrix metaphor. What a joyful thing to say <laughs> about a player. I, I hope that she hears this, you know. <laughs> and you, I, yeah, you're perfectly right about her. You know, what a, what a mercurial, magical player she is. Um, I'm going to be cheeky in pick two, and I want to give a very quick mention to Alyssa Bannon and her six-bounce run down the wing. The kick didn't come off, but 
she how much fun is she to watch really that that was just a that was a blissful moment she is such a big game player she's such a big game player she's she's performed in so many big games over the last couple of seasons just her and and again i that was the one thing that annoyed me was the fact is that the her her kick was like i was like oh no i'm like that deserved a goal and it just fell short sorry emma yeah, no, that's perfectly fine. I and mean, she broke out North Melbourne Hearts and I think it was round one, two with that, you know, incredible <laughs> goal that yep. seemed to defy physics where she kicked it from. So big shout out to Alyssa Bannon's effort on the weekend. And I think I'd have to go with, I think Emma Carney, actually, I, I had some, um, you know, some intel from those in, at the club actually after the game that she was playing at about 70% on that leg. So you're perfectly right, Donnie, about her, you know, really quite hampered by the injury. If you saw the leg, it was you know, it was bandaged kind of from, from top to bottom. It was amazing what she was able to do with that kind of injury. So I think she is a, she's pivotal for North Melbourne in that back line and just provides that steadying hand. And there were many moments, I think, in the match against Geelong where she just got that mark. She just got that release. She she held the ball up when necessary to, to just slow things down and control the tempo of things back there. So that was probably my standout other than Alyssa Bannon's six-bounce effort. Yeah, definitely. There was there were so there were so many big performances in this one. I, I agree. Alyssa Bannon was absolutely fantastic. Emma Carney on one leg. Um, I'm I, I'm one of those. I agree. Ali Anderson was absolutely fantastic. There's, there's so many to name. It, it it's, would be impossible for me to try to come up so many so many good ones. So, move to this one. I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna test you guys here a little bit. So we've got four teams in the semifinals. The winners move on to the prelims. I'm gonna I'm gonna test you. Of these four teams, is there a team that you think can pull the upset and get to a grand final? Yo, you can take this one first. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, the obvious one would be Adelaide for me. That would be the obvious mm. one. Um, but in these last few, uh, I still think Richmond is is a smoky. But um you know, I don't, I don't know how much more Adelaide have left in the tank. Um, you know, but without getting into to predicting who's going to win, uh, Adelaide have really, even though their record says otherwise, they they really are are banged up at this point. But Emma, I really like what you said about about Richmond just being a really smart football club, and they, ha- you know, you can't have that run of nine unbeaten uh, matches. For, for by accident you can't have that and they learned a lot during that time um it wouldn't it would not shock me to see richmond get all the way through to the grand final wouldn't but you know I, that's that's what i would say all right emma thoughts uh, donnie i think when you say is there a team in that four that could make a grand final my answer is probably no and it probably I, w- I wish it was a richer answer than that but i think we just can't go past the strength and might of both brisbane and Melbourne, you know, and I think, Gil, what you've mm-hmm. said, if there is going to be some kind of miracle, I would agree entirely with you. Adelaide seems the obvious one and Richmond is the smoky. I completely agree. But I just think that that Brisbane and Melbourne are utterly dominant and they will win their preliminary finals quite comfortably, no matter the opposition. All right. I'm, I'm a boring gonna, answer, but probably it, where it's, it's a bo- <laughs> It's a boring answer, but you set me up perfectly, Emma, because you're. I'm going to uh-huh. make you smile. I think it's North. And, and let, let me let me oh. point out the reason why. A lot of experience. A lot, still superstar talent, as you said, Jazzy Garner, Emma Carney, Emma King. I think is going to be the one that I I keep an eye out, and it's because of the bracket they're in. They have always given Melbourne issues, 
So if they mm-hmm. can get by Richmond and get to that Melbourne game, they always give Melbourne issues. I agree with you, Emma. I think Melbourne Brisbane will meet in the grand final. I think it's very difficult. I think it, Again, Adelaide, the reason I can't say Adelaide is because they're on the Brisbane side, and I think Brisbane will run them into the ground. I think Adelaide, they're running on they're running on steam a little bit. They're 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 such a strength physical footy team, and they've had so many tougher battles than most of them. Brisbane will run that they will run them ragged if Adelaide gets there. North is a team that with their experience, their veteran quality, they're going to be tricky for a D's team that again everybody's talking about D's Brisbane finals. The D's are the one team of the two prelims, I think are prone to a kind of iffy game as we kind of saw the start of the Adelaide Crows. North is my North is my team that I say, if any of the four can get to a grand final, I think it's North because of the bracket they're in. Now, do I see it happening? We'll, we'll find out in our tips, but that's, that's kind of my thing that I see that I see that, that little push of melbourne early in the season did north learn something from that so that's why i'll go from there well this is always a conjecture question for me but i I have to ask this the all australian squad is out and again the squad is always again a ton of conjecture what are your thoughts on the squad and were there any snubs in your opinion emma what are your thoughts on this Oh, gee, you've just put me on the spot here, Donnie, because I, I... <laughs> in a couple of days, so much has happened since I've read about it. <laughs> um, it's a good squad. I mean, my my mind goes to some of those outlying players that don't usually make the 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 squad. You know, there's some some new appearances, which is always exciting. I'm thinking about Jenna Britton from North Melbourne, of course. Um, and I know I, I'm such a North Melbourne focus, I apologise, but Emma Carney's seventh appearance and she'll make the team, you know, which is a remarkable thing. Um, were there any that missed out that shouldn't have you know, there's always, I think there's always a crop of midfielders and I'm going to let you down and I cannot draw any to mind right now. You're going to have to jog my memory. Gil, can you jump in here? <laughs> I'm going to try that. Um, You know, Jordan Allen was nice to see Yeah, uh, that, you know, mm-hmm. she's a first timer uh, for, for Collingwood. Um, also Chelsea Bedell with, with, with mm. Adelaide. So, you know, and then how about this? I don't know how she never was an all Australian, but how about Greta Bodie with, right. with Brisbane? I don't know how she, she missed out. So, I guess it's it's great to see them, those three not getting snubbed. Um, and then, as you mentioned, I mean, Jenna Bruton, uh, mm-hmm. also a new one. Um, and uh, so that's that's really, uh, well, for North Melbourne, that's that's a great uh, a great choice right there. I mean, and then you have your obvious ones. You have Monconti. Uh, you know, you've got Jazzy Garner. Um, Kiara Bowers. Kiara like Bowers, mm-hmm. right, the tackling machine. Yeah. Um, and then also Taylor Harris again. Mm-hmm. And Hatchard again. Hatchard, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talia Hickey was a bit of a surprise to me, um, but you know she's 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 someone that I was a little bit surprised uh, to see her make her first All Australian squad. Um, but congratulations to her. And can, uh, can, like can I can that? I bring up a I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this topic really really quickly really quickly. Um, I, I see a lot of people during the season were were really 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 on Alice the Alice Edmonds train because of how she had done for the doggies. Honestly. I would prefer Talia Hickey over Alice Edmonds. And maybe this is just me, but I think Talia Hickey does more than Alice Edmonds does. If you, if you look, if you look at her stat and again, stat line is, is it's always misleading sometimes, but Alice Edmonds leads the hitouts. But then after that, she's down statistically 
towards the bottom when it comes to Ruckman. I mean, Bree Moody's always there. Talia Hickey, Lauren Pierce, Caitlin Gould, Olivia Fuller. They made impact not just from the hitouts. They kicked goals. They were much more consistent um, disposals. They tended to tackle more. It's one of those. I I I don't mind seeing Alice Edmonds make the make the squad. I just if she makes the ruck, I'm a little disappointed because mm. Talia Hickey in per again. This is personal. Again, it's all subjective. Talia Hickey made more of an impact on her team than Alice Edmonds did. Thoughts? <laughs> I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you, Danny. I mean, it's you know, <laughs> and, and I'm not. Try, I'm not trying to ruffle say... doggies feathers. I'm, I'm not trying to ruffle <laughs> ruffle the dogs at all. I'm not. It's just that I, I saw all this, all this Alice dogs Edmonds, definitely. and I was like, say that again. They don't have dogs feathers. Have it's it's a again bad expressions. Come on, Gil, stop. Uh, Such a so, swan supporter. Too many. Yeah, feathers. I know. I know. Too many feathers. <laughs> too many feathers. I know. No. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I could be a swan supporter. Go, why didn't Montana? You know, then I realized, yeah, well, Montana I, I think, missed I think four you're or five under, games. So, well, but I think you're under something here, Donnie, because you know, when I think about that question, who should have made it that probably didn't, and I can't draw individual names to mind. Mimi Hill was the only one that I that I looked at that 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 for me, I screamed a little bit. Mimi Hill didn't even make the squad. I was like, yeah, I, she she had a really really good season. Maybe even Abby McKay from Carlton were the two midfielders mm. that I went probably have a good argument but again it, it is again it's subjective and it, you can only put in so many and as i noticed in my team of the round this year getting midfielders in is like splitting hairs it is very it difficult really is. because most of the superstars are there and what irritates me is when they plug in midfielders in forward positions to get them on the team that annoys mm-hmm. me because it takes away from a forward that maybe had a good year that they didn't put up the, the the sexy stats as we would say, but they had a really good season for a forward. So again, <laughs> you know what I think is interesting though is that neither Hawthorne nor Sydney had any players represented in that squad. You know, maybe that is a talking point did, across their entire team. I don't think Port no did either. Essendon, Essendon was the Essendon was the only. I think you're right. Yeah. As, yep. Essendon was the only one, and they had Bonnie Too Good, Maddie Persparkus, which again, mm-hmm. no surprises there. But yeah, Port didn't get it. Porton didn't get any. Hawthorne didn't get any. Sydney didn't get any. Again, Sydney, 0-10. It doesn't surprise me. They didn't have a real superstar. I mean, they had Montana Ham, but again, she missed so many games. Mm. Other than that, their best players were their defenders. They were getting statistics, but nothing massive. Like it that's yeah. pure swans. I watched all their games. They played their hearts out. There was just there was no statistical giant on the Swans team. So this didn't surprise me. Hawthorne a tiny bit. I thought Jazz Fleming had a really good season. I thought Jess Duffin could have even snuck in as a forward because of how well she did late in the year. But I think it was because she did start mostly back for a majority of the season. Then after that, I mean, Jazz Fleming had a good year, but she had, she had her games where she was rather quiet. Again, those were games Mm -hmm. where they were playing really good teams. So it kind of doesn't surprise me. Maybe Abby Dorwick, maybe Hannah Ewings for Port for Port, but again, I can't, the midfield—it's just so deep, so it doesn't surprise me. How so, about Valma Luisi making it for for Carlton and just I, that? 
I yeah. loved that. I like that. I yeah. hope she makes it because she's had an incredible she season. She had an incredible yeah. season this year if she doesn't make it. And then Amy McDonald is another one. She has mm -hmm. to make this squad. I will be, yeah. it will be a crime if she doesn't as good a season as she had. So, all righty. So, we jump to it. There have been some big, big news items pop out. And one, one of our panelists, has to talk about so i'm going to hand my soapbox to you gil unfortunately Fremantle, your your beloved dockers let their uh their coach coach cooper go i i gotta ask sir and i saw your tweet so i know a little bit of how you feel on this your thoughts on this because <laughs> this shocked me this really did shock me this came out of nowhere yeah it, i i was shocked too and you know with the time difference i woke up to to see that news and, um, you know, the way that the club even addressed it in its media release said that uh, the Trent Cooper was, quote unquote, moving on. And, you know, as a journalist, I was a little skeptical of that. And I was thinking, well, the way that they're phrasing it sounds like it might have been he was leaving of his own volition. And, you know, I did have a chat to him a little bit and, and find out that that's not what it was at all. And, um, you know, I just find it really uh, just galling that, you know, someone who had just coached aside to an undefeated season two years ago and was on the cusp of possibly winning the club's first ever flag. And it took a global pandemic seriously to get in these girls way in 2020 and he's fired. Mm -hmm. um, and then if you ask anybody of, uh, who follows any team, how much of a season are you going to have when you lose your two best players to expansion sides you have your next two best players miss 95% of the season with injury. You've got two others that miss half the season who are experienced. I mean, what, is, what exactly does that leave you with? So to see the Dockers tumble down the ladder was not a surprise because they were significantly weakened in the offseason. There, really, there wasn't the infrastructure to have ready-made players to replace them. They had to play one match this year using top-up players because of their injuries that hit. And, you know, I'm sorry, but a coach is not responsible for that. Um, and he had taken them all the way to the brink of a possible grand final, uh, had, had taken them to finals year after year. And, you know, I've seen some chatter on, on social media about, well, maybe the game plan needed updating. Uh, maybe uh, he didn't prepare them as well. But I want to tell you something. When I was looking into the prospect of writing a book about the girls, most of them that I interviewed, and I, I actually never had anybody say anything bad about Trent. They loved, they loved playing for him. They loved the fact that he really simplified their training, that he had a really uh, good approach with them, that he trusted them to do what they needed to do. So the only thing I can possibly think of is perhaps uh, the new leadership had somebody else in mind that they were just waiting to, to install. Um, and to me, I mean, I'll just be blunt about it. It looked like, the, it looked like management was looking for an excuse. And I don't think that having a losing season when your team is decimated as it was, that's not a good excuse to me. And this seemed to be much more ruthless than it did right. And I feel for Trent uh, and, you know, he's a good man. I've, I've had plenty of dealings with him, um, you know, talking with him and I, I hope he lands on his feet. He's a good man and he deserves another opportunity. Right. 100% agree. Emma, your thoughts on this? Oh, look, I, I think Gil has really just summed that up, you know, and I, uh, it's an extraordinary decision. And I think for a team that is already lacking stability for the reasons that Gil described, this seems to be a move that would destabilize them further. You know, and I really don't quite understand why you wouldn't spend time and resources investing in a coach like that, you know, who, as you say, is well loved and respected. Uh, they obviously are in 
a semi-rebuilding phase. They've had injuries. You know, it's not something that the coach is entirely responsible for or even really much responsible for at all, the losses of players they've had and the injuries. They have a, you know, there's a there's a, a, a very rich culture, I think, at Fremantle Footy Club that they should really, um, you know, engender into the way they see their coaches. And I'm, I'm very surprised and shocked at this kind of a move, you know, and it's interesting to see, Gil, people like yourself, fans of the club, fans of the women's team, be this dismayed, you know, and I, it makes me wonder what else is going on. Is there something we're not hearing about? Do either think, of you I know that? Has, I think it has to be from, from my mail and what I've heard from, from Trent in the aftermath. Um, you know, he, he was, he, he made one statement that, um, that I think was very powerful that, that in this business, you have to please a lot of people. And maybe it was the person or people that he, that he didn't please or, or whatever that, that led to this. Um, but one of the things I also didn't mention was, in addition to all those defections, you also had two players in in, uh, in Ashley Sharp uh, and also in Sabrina Duffy that took time away from mm-hmm. the game, um, you know, deservedly yeah. so from from their perspective. But you know, you you just can't you, you can't have a winning season or a successful season when your team is gutted the way that it is. Um, you know, I mean, Gemma Houghton is is the leading goal scorer of that club. Right. You look right. at Steph Kane, who became a co-captain with 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 Essendon. That was a very good team that suddenly um, and they and the other thing that's under the carpet here is that they almost lost the Antonios to a Victorian club. Right. Mm. That almost went down. And can you imagine what it would have been like in, in that case? And in many ways, to me, Ebony Antonio was the MVP of that team last season. And then to see her limited to, to just uh, just one or two games. Yeah, that was that was critical. Um and again, you know, as you're saying, I mean, it's it's not, the coach can't get out there and kick straight. The coach can't get out get out there and be a top up player. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. You know, that's what a coach is there for to coach and not be an active participant. Um, and he was a very good leader and, and with Fremantle, and, and as you said, very respected and loved. I don't see I don't see how this makes much sense. Yeah, I when I saw this, I was like, this is. If this is a decision on one season, whoever made that decision wasn't thinking straight. They they just they they did not think that one through. They, they this is a rash. This almost seems like a very rash, rush decision on very very little evidence uh, of any t- instability. Honestly, because the instability was nothing that he could control. He cannot control who's injured. He cannot control who leaves the team. He cannot control how things have went down since the since the pandemic so it's like this is very very frustrating for me maybe this is the coach in me it's just you want to give him a hug because it's like dude you deserve so much better i mean what he did at Fremantle was incredible incredible he this is such an unceremoniously horrible dismissal mm. I, I hope it doesn't come back to bite Fremantle but i, I i'm gonna can I, can I twist a, a somewhat of a positive spin on this Gil, could you see a way that Cara Antonio takes over as the head coach of the Fremantle Dockers? You know, I, I could, I could see it. Um, that's, you know, that that's a tough one because, you know, you also want to see people in the coaching role who have paid their dues mm-hmm. and yeah. have, and have, uh, you know, have that kind of experience. And what I was going to say is it's not like, Fremantle are set to bring in Beck Goddard. She's already coaching somebody, some other team, you know, mm-hmm. and she's, she's won a premiership. Um, but I don't, I don't see anybody out there that they could have possibly said, you know, let's line this person up. It's, and, and a lot of Fremantle fans have likened this 
to years ago when the Dockers sacked Mark Harvey and brought in Ross Lyon. But that's not the situation here. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a situation where you can go get a Ross Lyon who's taken the club to two grand finals and you're bringing that person in. That doesn't exist yet. And I just don't think that that he got a fair shake. And it's it, to me, you know, I Emily, mean, when you talk about club culture, this is not the Fremantle way. And it certainly mm -hmm. doesn't seem like the, the Fremantle way that has been um, played out the last few years. Um, you know, and I, I really hope that this would not be something that happens to, uh, to to other folks they bring in. But, you know, in any work environment, it always seems, doesn't it, that with a new regime, they want to go with their people. And if you're not one of their people, you've got a, a real steep climb to try and satisfy them. Um, yeah. You know, uh, as far as candidates go, I, I don't know. I haven't heard anything about that. But, yeah, it just it just seems grossly unfair. Yeah, dude, it's just uh, just so frustrating. Very, very frustrating. Again, I I hope I hope it turns out well. I mean, there's so many great players in that on that list that I think they they deserve to have great coaching. And this is just a difficult one. So, unfortunately, we jump from the frying pan to the fire in this one because this next dilemma has the entire AFLW fan base pulling its hair out. All right, I, I'm going to try to break this down as simple as possible. Richmond will host North Melbourne at Punt Road, which, again, most people would say that's a great situation, but Punt Road only has a 2,000 capacity and Icon Park and a couple of others with much higher um, capacities are both available. And Richmond's CEO, Gail, comes out and kind of basically says we're not moving we're staying here kind of contradicting some quotes that he had previously when it came to geelong but we won't discuss that too much and unfortunately for many australians their beloved matildas also play around the same time at amy park against number two in the world sweden so emma i mean this dilemma has gotten out of hand very very quickly and Gail is not helping with his comments because they are coming back to bite him. Is this as frustrating to you as it is to even Gil and myself, who though we can't go to the game, we feel the frustration just by looking at our social media, our social media accounts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's incredibly frustrating. I'm still just shaking my head. It's Thursday. It's three or four days after tickets went on sale and sold out within 13 minutes because the capacity of the ground is 2,900 people or something like that. This feels to me like one of those situations, you know, we come across these situations in life where there are kind of two or three people who believe one thing and thousands who think quite the opposite. That's exactly what is going on here. So, you know, I have a lot of respect for Brendan Gale and for the Richmond Football Club, and they were working in so-called women's space before the AFLW happened, and they did a lot of really good groundwork. You know, I, I respect what they did and what they do. So it's very difficult now to hear them say, well, you know, it's, it's our home ground advantage that we want to keep, and that is paramount, and have a couple of figureheads at the AFL back that in. When you have a large chorus of people screaming for the opposite, you know, and it's a situation where, so where this game is being played is very central Melbourne, where the Matildas game is being played 
more or less at the same time, is a short walk from there. It's a, it would be a, a nine-minute walk from that ground. Now, as we well know, many supporters of AFL Women's are also supporters of the National Women's Soccer Team. What a great day it would have been to have them an hour apart and walk from one ground to the other or to play at Icon Park, which is only a single tram ride down to the next game that the Matildas, you know, there are so many problems with this. So Icon holds, what is it, 25,000, 28,000, something something like that. that. Almost 30, it may be even. It's the only game of Australian rules football on in Melbourne, in the, you know, the the home of football on this weekend. And they've scheduled it at a ground that holds less than 3,000 people and it's sold out in 13 minutes. I talk about not reading the room. One hundred percent. Talk about not reading the room. Oh yeah, my social, my social media, and I have a lot of them that are that are they are not happy, and they are questioning everything. And and again, I'm I I am a huge world world football fan. For me, friendlies doesn't get it, but I I know the Matildas. I mean, they are very very good. They're up there, and again, you don't get many times that you get the number two ranked Sweden coming to your right. to Melbourne to play. So I understand them wanting people wanting to go. So it, it is very frustrating. And then the fact that I think the time, the reason that the time it is, is because Punt Road doesn't have lights. So you almost look at it and go, okay, if Punt Road doesn't have lights, why can't you move it to Icon and then move it to a prime time time period? Mm-hmm. So then, as you said, Matilda's game, Tram, game and Icon between Richmond and North Melbourne. It just seems like a no-brainer. And I, I do I, do we sit here and we go, is there something in the background we don't know about? I don't mm-hmm. think so. Yeah. I honestly don't think so. I honestly think that this is rich this is richmond's footy department stamping their feet going no 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 we want it our way and not thinking about anybody else but themselves gil your gil your thoughts on this because i could go for days how hard is it to schedule two games i mean you know (laughs) i mean how hard is that i mean why couldn't have uh richmond played on sunday uh, you know, you have a little bit of a, of a less of a, of a potential break, but if they, if they played on Sunday, you solve the light problem and you solve the time problem. And Emma, you're going to be really impressed because in my column that I write this week, I actually researched how far away exactly Amy Park is <laughs> on Road Oval. The answer is- How six, close was I? <laughs> 56 meters. 56, sorry, no, 156? 656. 656. Okay, great. Yeah, it's yeah, crazy close. Oh, so here's the other thing I don't understand. If, if it's a light problem, couldn't they have started the match at noon? Mm. I mean, that would have been another idea. Well, I mean, you think about other venues. I mean, this is this is a club that or a league that has sometimes had an immense competition. Uh, Geelong playing games at the MCG. You've had sometimes Collingwood playing at Marvel. Was Marvel yeah. available, right? Mm. Uh, I think it was. Like, I think it is. If I yeah, saw it. I, I saw Sarah, I saw Sarah Burt's article and she yeah. she put down two or at least two or three different venues, including like I said, I I think Icon was one of them. I think yeah. Marvel was available. Let's see if I can pull it up really quickly. And every single one of them was was five five figure. Yeah, what was it? Here it is. Victoria Park was Victoria Park is open. Icon Park is open and Marvel Stadium all. 10,000, 22,000, and 53,000 seats. They are available that day. There are no complications. 
So this is this is not a scheduling situation. Game with Marvel, you know. I'm I'm sorry, Don, I step over you there, but but you know, I'm not a mathematician, right? I'm a humanities guy, but at least I can figure this out. If you've got two thousand eight hundred <laughs> tickets that you sell, and you have a club in Richmond whose men's side has more members than almost anybody, wouldn't it make sense then that you can get a larger crowd and contingent of your fans watching the match at Marvel? They could have made it a re they could have turned that place. Can you imagine? I mean, okay, I'll just I'll just do a short segue because to me, one of the most <laughs> exciting moments in footy, at least on the men's side, is when Richmond win at home at the MCG and you got 90,000 people at the end of the match yelling, yellow and black in that song. <laughs> oh, who doesn't love to hear that? So think about the Tiger Army in Marvel mm. for this match. And you're going to tell me that, no, we, we're too stubborn. We want to play on this ground and be content with 2,800? And this is no disrespect to Richmond. Just like Emma is saying, I have enormous respect for Richmond. Peggy O'Neill, I've met her before. She does this country. So, she does Americans proud. I love what she's done in, in the AFL. But come on. Come on. I mean, it, it just seems like when the most sensible answer is out there, there's this desire to turn away from it. I don't get it. Yeah, it's this is this is a giant this is a giant cop out. And again, Brend Brendan Gale has been called a little bit of a hypocrite because of comments said about Geelong in the men in the men's game. I, I try not to bring that up, but it these may come back to bite him. I've seen a lot of Geelong fans that are like, okay, we can go at Brendan Gale and go, hey, you can't say anything about us not having games at Cadenia Park because you got away with playing a women's game for 2800 in the finals at punt road so i i'm I, I will be very interested to see will this have ripple effects even in the in the men's game too and again i don't like going to the men's game this is a women's women's podcast but this i think this will have ripple effects because there's there's going to be a lot of people calling this out if, if this doesn't change and, and unfortunately i don't think this is going to change richmond has dug their heels in it's not going anywhere it's just very disappointing but the other the other thing that i've also seen online too is that i think the AFLW, they're ruining a little bit the fact that they are not the the men's and the women's games are completely different enough. The fan bases are not the same. I think that's more of the reason why the Matildas situation is more of the oh. argument for a lot is because many of them they support the Matildas, they support AFLW, they want to go to both. That is the most frustrating thing for many of them. This is the AFLW not reading their fan base very well. And they're going, this is going to hurt them. And I hate saying that this is going to hurt them for a little bit because a few fans are very not, not happy. They are not happy at all. So, all right, let's, let's, as much as I'd love to talk about this, it, it, as frustrating as it is, I, I want to stay positive as much as possible. We have two semifinals that we have to discuss and we have to tip because these are going to be absolute crackers. So let's go to it. First semifinal of the round. Let's see. Let me pull it up here as my app decides to think for a little bit. Great live podcasting here. All right. <laughs> it's it's the game we discussed. Swinburne Center, Punt Road, Richmond v. North. We'll go to the North supporter here. How confident are you? What's your tip, head or heart? North, Richmond, who do you got, Emma? <laughs> Head or heart? It's a great question. Of course, you know what my heart says. My head's pretty worried about this game. I think Richmond kind of have the goods at the moment. And I think it's such a dream scenario for the AFL that we've got this game that's being played two weeks after both these teams drew at Arden Street. So 
it's a fantastic situation. Everything is on the line. There's a preliminary final to come for the winner. You know, it's real heart and soul stuff. Um, interestingly, North Melbourne has beaten Richmond in every game they've played at Punt Road. So again, there's that kind of question of why they would be so robust in deciding to stay there against this opposition, you know. But so anyway, look, I think both teams are actually relatively evenly matched. They have different strengths. You know, when you're watching someone like Katie Brennan, who you can always rely on, seems to be really coming into some form and showing herself to be the big game player that we've always known she can be. Then you have someone like Ghana, who we've mentioned a few times now, Gil especially, who obviously not just a big game player, but a, you know, AFL Coaches Award level, uh, you know, uh, talent. She was well held by, and I'm going to forget the, the tag that was run on her, but Richmond ran a tag a couple McDonald. of weeks ago on her. McDonald, Amy, thank you. Amy McDonald, yep. Incredibly effective. And it was kind of the one game she had for the year that she was well below her best. So if they can replicate that, I really think that's the difference. I had to reduce games down to sort of a one-player difference, but I think it is the Ghana factor in this one. And if if she if they can, if the North Melbourne, her North Melbourne teammates can give her a hand in the middle and put a block on the tagger so she can run free a little. And with Carney back in the side, I'm gonna go north just, but I'm pretty nervous. Okay. Gil, what's your thoughts? Well, uh, Emma, you're not going to like me very much for this, but I am. I am saying, <laughs> I am saying that Richmond are going to get by, and I'm going to go even extra. I'm going to say that Richmond are going to get by comfortably in this mm-hmm. one. Richmond, All right? I'm out. I'm out here. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, Richmond, Richmond are really smart, as as you alluded to. The last and then that drawn game, uh, they really put a vice grip on Jasmine Garner. She only had 13 touches, mm-hmm. which is about 10 below her average. Um, the reason why I really also think that Richmond has an advantage here is that North just can't seem to kick straight when they really need to. And in that drawn match, they kick 3-9. Um, mm-hmm. Even when Sophie, Sophie Abitangelo was at her most dangerous in that third quarter where she was really dominating play, I mean, she still sprayed three shots. She's a fantastic player and all that. And, you know, Talia Randall is great at um, taking big pack marks and, and uh, you know, Emma King does what she does really well. But I just think that Richmond have learned. They've learned from the Brisbane match. They've obviously learned from the drawn match against North. I think this is Richmond's real time to shine here. Um, I think I can see Courtney Wakefield getting off the chain. I think mm-hmm. her and Katie Brennan pose a real threat um, to the uh, to the Roos backs. Uh, and I just think that that you know we we talked about how on paper North looks like they're the winning side, but you know footy ain't played on paper. Footy's mm-hmm. played on especially play. finals, right? Yeah, especially exactly. Finals. Yeah. yeah, and I, I just think that, that Richmond also had opportunities to win the match. Um, and in some ways, you could say that, uh, that, that, they were, that North were fortunate that Richmond kind of let them off sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am going to go with Richmond, and I think it's going to be more decisive than people think. And I think that my pick is Richmond to go through to the prelim final. All right. So I get to be the tiebreaker in this one. This is going to be interesting. So I, I, I thought about this a lot because this is, this was the toughest one for me. I, I think, I think, I don't think I'm jumping too high up a limb. I think we all got the same answer for the next one. This is how I looked at it like this. There, there's several things that are different from the draw that I think really, I want to see how they impact Emma Carney coming back. Yes. She's at 70%, but Emma Carney at 70% is better than a lot of players. What is her impact? How does she change the game? Kim Rennie is also back that did not play in that previous game. And I think that really messed up the structure for North Melbourne in the previous game because Emma King has been playing mostly forward this year. Yes, she's played some rock, but she's been playing more forward. And I think 
a little bit of it is, is that I don't know if she's got the fitness to stay in the middle as much as she used to. I think they've moved her forward to use her strength and her size and her ability with marking to be able to go forward. So when she had to play a majority ruck, she didn't have the energy late in the game, which I think helped Richmond's defense. Second, Katie Brennan missed a lot of that game because of an IPO. She did not play a majority of that game. She is deadly up forward when she can get open. Who does North Melbourne guard? Do they guard Courtney Waitfield? Do they take mm-hmm. Katie Brennan? That is a two-headed monster. If they can get going and get service, they're very difficult to stop. Yes, you've got some talent back there with a McCartney, but can you shut those two down? So those are my three things that are different from the first game. I'm going to tip Richmond, but I think this is razor thin. And, and, and this is it, it, here's my thing. North Melbourne had a very physical, very tough, very taxing game against Geelong. And where Richmond, yes, they had a taxing game against Brisbane in the heat, but it wasn't as physical. It wasn't that that down-to-the-wire game that zaps you energy-wise because you have to put so much into it. I think Richmond comes in. I think Richmond comes in with a little bit more energy, a little bit more jump to them. And I just think they pip North, but North is in this. I think this comes down to the last couple of minutes. Do we see a Katie Brennan magic? Do we see a Mon Conti miracle goal late? Do we see Ellie McKenzie have that moment of brilliance where she goes for a high mark and maybe changes the game? I'm going to tip Richmond, but this is razor thin. I think this is less than a goal. I think this comes down to even a shot after the siren. I think that's how close these two teams are. I think Richmond is there. North's experience will keep them in this. Their talent will keep them in this. I just think Richmond's pressure and the less taxing game will be the reason that they win this, but this is going to be a fascinating one. So now I will I will I will break the tie with that. But I again this one is going to be super, super close. And last but not least, Adelaide Collingwood. Am I jumping off too high a limb to go? I think this is Crows, and I think this is Crows big because I think Collingwood Ruby Slicer is iffy. They're they they just didn't look really good in that fourth quarter. And I think it's gonna weigh on them a little bit. I think Adelaide comes in angry. I think Adelaide comes in inspired, and I think they put the wood over Collingwood. Unfortunately, I have the crows in this one. I have the crows big. Yeah, look, me too. It's it's hard to go past a team that's produced what they have in the past few years. They're still an incredibly talented side. You know, every line has high end elite talent. They know each other so well. They this is they 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 close their eyes and find a player. You know that Adelaide will win this by. I'm looking at sort of seven or eight goals. I would I would expect, and I think Collingwood have not had the season they're expecting. Um, they're low on confidence. They haven't quite got the belief that they should have at this point. Sarah Rowe, I think, as much as Schleicher, are both under injury clouds. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, look, I, I mean. Livingston's having an amazing season. She's one of my favorite players. Lambert, the two L's at Collingwood, I think, will stand up for them amongst, you know, some of their Chloe Malloy. Of course, you can't go past, but they're just that they're just down. They're sort of down that sort of 10 or 15% to where they should be given their list. And mm-hmm. it's not going to translate well against Adelaide in a final. Whereas you say, Donnie, they're going to come out mad as hell. Agree. Adelaide mm-hmm. all the way. Yep. 
Well, you know, I've, I've, I've often said about uh, Adelaide, you know, the, the expression, uh, you're beautiful when you're angry. Well, Adelaide play beautiful when they're angry. And they, they, al- they, always, they always have. And yeah, I don't think there's any doubt in this one. I think that if any team mm-hmm. is going to be having a little bit of a case of imposter syndrome, it's probably going to be Collingwood. Yeah. And much as I've talked about North being inaccurate in front of the sticks, actually Collingwood is the most inaccurate in front of the sticks this year. If you look at the statistics and, um, you know, I don't think that they have the weapons to go hand to hand with Adelaide. Adelaide are so deep and they can beat you in so many different ways. And Adelaide this year has played a lot of rope a dope footy where it seems like they're down and out for a while and they can flick a switch and then they start kicking goals. Um, mm-hmm. But I think this time they're going to build on um, on jumping an opponent the way that they did with uh, with Melbourne last week. And then, you know, the, the, the two sided coin here is with Chelsea Randall that in some ways it was really, um, you know, it was really depressing almost to see Chelsea in that state. But if you're a player, you know, you're seeing somebody put everything out there that she's willing to sacrifice that much for her club. And the fact that she was still out there trying to take her set shot and was willing to put her body through that much abuse in in playing, that's got to be inspirational. That's what a captain does, uh, Mm -hmm. really sets the tone. And so I think she won a lot of admiration, even more admiration from um, from the players that she leads. And and it's very interesting because when the Crows played this season uh, against Collingwood, they kicked 2-9 in that match. And Collingwood still won the match by five points. Um, I don't see this one being close. They're playing on their home ground too. Let's not forget that. And, and they're going to go in with a chip on their shoulder and, and something to prove. Um, and I don't think that uh, the Collingwood are – are very long for this one. Uh, even if Eliza James has another miracle match, hmm. um, they just don't have the firepower. Uh, Sabrina, Sabrina Frederick, for as much as I've admired what she's done over her career, well, you know, she has a lot of mileage uh, on on her that that she's gonna uh, that she's been struggling with. She's had one really huge game this year, but I don't think that she's the the avenue to goal that she used to be. Hmm. Um, and I think that uh, that that Adelaide just have this one covered and covered by a lot. Yeah, it, I, I I hate blowouts in the finals because it, it really leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I just I I have a hard time unless the Crows just have a flat performance. I I worry about this game. I I really really do because I just I think this this is a recipe for disaster, absolute recipe for disaster. So there, there's one other thing I want to do really quickly. Did you two fill out brackets and who is your is your grand final still available and who did you have as your flag winner, Gil? I have to say I didn't have a bracket, but I think after watching Brisbane in that first match, I had them. Um, and uh, you know, a Brisbane Melbourne grand final would be really a fantastic rematch from what happened uh, in the prelim at the MCG last year or last season. Um, and I still remember Alyssa Bannon being the difference maker in that one for for Melbourne. I think, as as Emma said, these are the two really standout dominant teams of the competition, and um, I, I don't see uh, I see Adelaide making a prelim, but I don't see them getting to the grand final. Uh, I think it would be a, a real hell of a match to see Brisbane and, and Melbourne face off against each other for sure. And so I think I definitely had those two sides um, in the in the top four for sure. Uh, I think that'd be a cracking grand final. Okay, Emma. Yeah, I had Brisbane, actually. I think they're, they're such, such quality. It's hard to go past their start to the season as well. Um, uh, Melbourne always floating around, but I still feel even now, though, they've had such a fantastic year. 
they're, they're just missing something. And I, I feel it feels remiss as a kind of football commentator to not know what that something is. But they're, you know, they're really on fire. They've, they've players across all lines that are outstanding. Um, they've gelled really well. They are beating top quality sides with some ease. But I still feel like there's just something a little bit missing in Brisbane for me all the way. See, and I'm 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 the oddball. I I have Brisbane. I I did fill out a bracket. I'm, I'm this is not bragging. I got all four of the prelim. I got all four of the qualifying elimination finals right. So I still I'm six. I I still oh, have yes, all six of my team. Donnie, come on. What? No, I did. <laughs> it's, it, it wasn't it wasn't it's not intended it's humble if anything so i have bris i have brisbane melbourne in the final i have brisbane melbourne in the final and i have melbourne winning it i think melbourne's physicality and taylor harris's addition in the grand final i think is going to give brisbane headaches i think the midfield is a wash i think melbourne's defense can find a way to shut down brisbane i just don't know if brisbane's defense can shut down taylor harris kate hoare and that four-headed monster i like the d's actually in the grand final mm. even at metricon because i think taylor harris's ability to go into the ruck and then back forward i think is going to give brisbane headaches i think it's a different game than it was at casey earlier in the season so i'm a little odd i have the d's winning it all so I, i'm interested to see how this goes i again brisbane melbourne i think they're too class they're too good no matter who they see in the preliminaries i think they're both going to just be too good it's how that matchup is in the grand final cannot wait for it so speaking of that we will go to a little bit of heads up there will be no podcast next week there's only two games i'm going to take a break for just a bit so we can cover the semis and prelims in one episode along with a grand final preview i am working on some very special guests for that preview so keep an eye on that i may may have an aflw player or two to join me in that episode i'm working on that right now still in the works don't know still in the works so there will be no podcast for the semis can you get her to come to real say that again i'm sorry if it's Courtney Hodder, could you convince her to come to Korea? <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm trying to stay away. I'm trying to stay away from players that might play in the grand final. So right now, it's again, it's I'm, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give any, I'm not going to give any clues yet. I'm work again. I'm working on it right now um, because that's also my off season. I'm going to try to get a few AFLW players on the podcast to do some interviews because this year I had. Uh, Steph Kiyochi and Alicia Newman, who I thought were both fantastic interviews. They were absolutely fantastic to chat with. And so I'm hoping to get a few more. So Gil, I may hit you up for some of your Fremantle connections to maybe get a hold of some Fremantle Dockers. I would love to be able to talk to some of the, the ladies of the West for sure. So so just a real quick heads up, there will be no semifinal podcast. There will be a podcast previewing the grand final and then a grand final review. So two more episodes in AFLW season this year. So that is going to do it for the episode today. Gil, Emma, thank you both very much for joining me. This has been a fantastic chat. You two are absolutely amazing co-hosts. I appreciate everything that you've brought to it. Gil, thank you very much, sir. Thank you for having us. Emma, it's great to meet you too. And uh, if you're and on you, social Gil. media, it'd be great to keep in contact and keep talking footy. And, you know, we just keep got to keep fighting the good fight for equalization. We have to. Absolutely. No, it's been a real pleasure meeting you and having a chat with both of you and happy to do it anytime. It's a joy. Thanks. Absolutely. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will do it for this episode of AFLW review of the first round of the finals. We'll be back in two weeks to preview the grand final.